Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Above all, he did it for me. <laughs> he did it for me and I'm and I'm grateful. <laughs> Hallelujah. He did it for me and I'm grateful. You know, I think we can we can take our Christianity for granted. I think we can just we can we can forget we, we forget about what actually God accomplished for us. I mean, don't let your Christianity become just something that is not important. It's not a it's not a side issue in your life. It's not a Sunday morning experience. But are you grateful? I mean, you know, I, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> I mean, I'm grateful that I, you know, hell was not created for you and me. It, the Bible tells us that hell was created for Satan and his angels. It was not, God doesn't send anyone to hell. That, that's a misconception. It's like God, God doesn't send anyone to hell. The issue is, 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 is people go to hell because they reject the sacrifice. That's the issue. And hell isn't hell because hell's hot. Hell's hell because God's not there. You know, I hear people make fun of things. It's like, you know, hey, we're, you know, we're going to party in hell. No, you're not. You know, I, you know, I, and, and they're kind of glad they're going to hell. It's neither they're No, no, you understand you. We live in, in, a, in, a, in a dispensation of grace. On, we do not know the earth apart from the Holy Spirit in it. <laughs> we, we don't we do not know what the earth is like apart from the Holy Spirit in it. And things are being kept back. Things are being kept back. At least Acts chapter 3, verses 19 or so, it talks about that things are being held back and restrained until the restoration of all things. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I promise. I just want to talk about in my time with you this morning, and I'm looking forward to our 11 o'clock service for doc, with Dr. Savell, our, our founding pastor, will be with us. And, um, and next week I'll be talking about, I promise, on Easter Sunday. And you, you don't want to miss it. I encourage you to bring somebody. The uh, Lord spoke to me about three, four months ago about Easter Sunday. And, and, um, and it's, it's not your typical Easter, Easter message. So you don't want to miss it. It's, it's going to be uh, eye-opening. Amen. Um, but I promise. You know, a prom- promises are not nonverbal. You don't make nonverbal promises. In order to be a promise, it has to be something declared or it has to be something decreed, whether written or spoken. Words have to be involved in a promise. I just want to read you some definitions of the word promise. And this is in Webster's 1828 dictionary. It says, it's the declaration written or verbal made by one person to another, which binds the person who makes it either in honor or conscious or law. To do a certain act specified. It's a declaration which gives to the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance of an act. Also, it's this. A declaration, verbal or written, made by one person to another for a, for a good or valuable consideration. A covenant by which the promiser binds himself. 
Another definition in Webster's. A binding declaration of something to be done or given for another's benefit. And then this is in Webster's 1828 as well. In Scripture, the promise of God is the declaration or insurance, assurance which God has given in His Word of bestowing blessings on His people. Such assurance resting on the perfect justice, power, and benevolence and the immutable veracity of God that cannot fail. That's in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Wow. Wow, I love that. Assurance resting on the perfect justice, power, benevolence, and immutable veracity of a God that cannot fail. (laughs) The veracity of the immutable, the immutable, hallelujah, meaning it doesn't, doesn't change. Veracity of God that it does not fail. So a promise has to be a declaration. It has to be a declaration. And in the prophetic word that we, we've been standing on as a church, I'm not going to take the time to read all of this. I encourage you to go to our events page or our, 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 our church center app. If you, There's a picture of the prophetic word and has all the different words that we're standing on. But there's one phrase here. It says that your adversary can't stop what I've already decreed. So stay in faith and get ready to receive. The enemy can't stop what I've already decreed. So what we just established, a promise is something decreed. It's something that's spoken. And it hinges in the, on the nature and the character of the one that spoke it. So I want to talk for, for my time with you this morning on my promise keeper. Go to, go to Psalms chapter 89. Psalms 89. Psalms 89, verse 33. It says, Nevertheless, I'm reading this in the Amplified. It says, Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not break off from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. Now, listen to that. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not break off from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. You have to understand, God's loving kindness is is never going to break off from you. If any anything's going to be anything's going to separate in anything with a relationship with God, it's not going to be God. It's going to be you and me. And it says this in verse 34, he goes, "My covenant will I not break or profane or alter the thing that's gone out of my lips." Once and for all have I sworn by my holiness, which cannot be violated, I will not lie to David. Wow. My covenant will I not break. I, 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 want, I want to talk to you about my promise keeper. Can you say that with me? My promise keeper. So everything that we stand in faith on is going to be based on the nature and character of God. That's why it's so important to read the Bible. It's not to do your religious duty or your religious performance. You get in the Word to get to know Him. The character of who He is. 
Jesus said in, in John chapter 17, verse 26, and he says this, he goes, he goes, he goes, I came. And there's a lot of reasons we can say on why Jesus came, but this is what Jesus says about himself. He goes, he goes, I came to make your very character known. I came to make your very character known. We can establish that through, through Colossians chapter 1, and we can establish it in Hebrews chapter 1, where it says that, that Jesus, in, in Colossians 1, it says Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible. So what is he saying? He goes, he goes in, and he said this in John 14 to his disciples, he goes, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So it's established through Scripture. If we can look at Jesus and we can see Jesus, then we can see the heart of the Father. We can see the character of the Father. And he says here, of the character of the Father, it says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my mouth. Amen. <laughs> Someone else is reading Scripture, it sounds like. <laughs> That's a funny story. We were we were in here one morning and and we were having church and then after service, um, the church across the street over there, the the leaders came over and and they were like, um, you know, he goes right during our worship service, your your you know your pastor stood up and just started preaching, and we heard everything your pastor said. We couldn't hear anything that was happening here, but we heard your whole message <laughs> over there. So it's like you know, sometimes you just need to listen, you know. And so I was like, did you do an altar call? I mean, it's. <laughs> I mean, do you receive an offering? I don't know. It's, no, it's, it's side note. Sorry. It's, it's kind of like squirrel. It's, you know, I just, sometimes you have to just make people laugh to get them to listen. You know, but, but understand, we have a promise keeper, his character and his nature. Look at Titus chapter 1. I know you read there a lot. Titus chapter 1. You're like, who's Titus? Where's Titus? <laughs> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Verse 2, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, let me read verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of God and the Apostle Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So he promised this eternal life before the world began. <laughs> he promised eternal life before the world began. And it establishes this, that cannot lie. It, it tells us which God, and then it qualifies it, that can't lie. And this is taken, you can, you can write down Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. Now let's go to Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah 33. He cannot lie. Eternal life was not, eternal life was not a, a second thought. It wasn't plan B. It, it was, it was God's, God's heart all from the beginning was to have an eternal relationship with his creation. Jeremiah 33, I mean Isaiah 33, so let's, Jeremiah 33, 
verse 20, and I'll read this in the Amplified. It says, thus says the Lord. So we know the Lord's speaking. And so what does the Lord do? He's going to reveal his character. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that there should not be day or night in their season, then can also my covenant be broken with David. I mean, do you think either one of us could actually stop? Were were you able to, you know, sometimes, you know, I like to have sleep. And sometimes don't you wish that night lasted a little bit longer? Or, you know, if you're on vacation, you, you want can, can this day last a little longer, right? You know, if, so what is he saying? If you could, if you could break covenant with the day or the night, if you could actually, Cassie, if you could stop night from coming or day from coming, then you might be able to do something. What's it say? It says, it says, thus says the Lord, if you could break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that there should not be day or night in their season, then can also my covenant be broken with David, my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign upon his throne. So what is he saying? He goes, he goes, just like you can't break the, you can't stop day from coming or night from coming. It's the same thing having to do with my promises. It's the same thing having to do with my nature and having to do with my character I am not going to lie to you. I am not going to give up on you. I am not going to fail you. I am a God that always keeps covenant. I'm a God that always keeps my promises. I do not lie and I do not change. This is, this is what we have to understand as pertaining his promises. We serve a promise keeper. Let's go to Genesis. Chapter 17. I needed to establish that before I got into this. Yeah, before I before I read this, I want to establish something. I was looking and asking the Lord, what, what's the first promise that you made in the Bible? What's, what's the first promise? And, um, and, to, and to see how that correlates throughout, throughout time. Because there's a, there's a scriptural interpretation for homiletics that is called the, it's called the law of first mention. And when you see it in scripture, it's the first time it's mentioned. Then what's happened is you're going to see a constant, consistent theme throughout the Bible. And, and so as I was praying over this, the Lord said, I said, what, what's your first, what's the first promise you made? And he said, I made it in Genesis chapter one. And it was this, that he said, I will give every herb bearing seed and it will be provision to you. And then he says, and I've given you every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And that and it said this, and, and he goes, that's light that has life in it. And he goes, for you, it shall be for meat, meaning it shall be for your provision. And so I was like, That's, that was your first promise? Yeah, I will, this is what I will do. I'm, I'm going to give you every herb-bearing herb seed, and I'm going to give you every beast upon the field that has life in it, and for you, it's going to be for your provision. And so I was praying over this, and, and, and the Lord said that, you have to understand that I can only work within the things that I established in the earth. 
Meaning he can't, he can't just all of a sudden, he couldn't, he couldn't just start over from square one. Okay, let me just kill them all and let's start over and we'll make a new Adam. He couldn't do that because why he put himself in Adam. He, he established everything. And, and, and that's why he had to put an angel at the gate of the garden of Eden. This might be kind of deep, but you know, he had to put an angel at the garden Eden because, because if they ate in front of the tree of life, because if they ate of the tree of life while they were in that fallen state, God couldn't do anything about man's fallen state. So, so with this, so, so he had to work within the things that he set up. So he gave us every, every beast of the field and it would be for our provision. That's why I believe that God had to use the form of a sacrifice to bring salvation to us because the beast of the field would be for our provision. When Adam and Eve fell, what was the first thing he did? He took the coat of an animal to cover them. So now that God could now commune with them, but they had to have a covering, but it was, had to be something that God had already established that would be life for us. That would be for our provision. Does that make sense? I know it's kind of deep, but I'm, I'm going, I'm going, we're, we're going somewhere this morning. So in Genesis chapter 17, verse one, it says, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will, I will make my promise. I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant or my promise is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Now think about that. Verse two, I will make my promise between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Multiply you exceedingly. How would you like to be multiplied exceedingly? Sounds good to me. Verse five, neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram, but by thy name shall be Abraham for a father of many nations. Have I made thee and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in the, in their generations. For an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto you and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Hallelujah. So this is, this is covenant. He's saying what he will do. I will do this. I will make you fruitful. I will multiply you. Now let's go to Exodus. While you're, while you're turning Exodus chapter two, while we're getting there, four chapters in, in Genesis 22, what do we see? We see Abraham with Isaac taking him up on a mountain and, and what, cause he's establishing covenant with God. And what does, what does God do? God, what does he provides an animal? He provides an animal. He provides a sacrifice. What? To fulfill his promise. Okay. Exodus chapter two, verse for the sake of time, 24, it says, and God heard their groanings and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God heard their groanings or their, their prayer unto them, unto God. And he did what he remembered his promise. He remembered his promise with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. 
What was that promise? That I will make you exceedingly. I will multiply you exceedingly. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will bring you into this land. I will, uh, all these different promises. What does he do? I'm going to remember this covenant. Then verse seven, seven, uh, chapter three, verse seven says this. And the Lord said, I will surely, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and do what? And to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. What What are we seeing? We're seeing that God made this promise with Abraham and it would be a promise that would make them exceedingly fruitful, right? And also had to do with bringing them into a certain land, right? Then here we're seeing where God remembers that covenant because the people finally cry out and say, you know, for 430 years, we've been under this bondage. It was only supposed to be 400, but it wasn't until the people got tired of their bondage that they cried out to God. And God said, I remember my promise. I remember the covenant. And what does he say? I will come down and I will deliver them and do what? I will bring them into a large land. Let's go to Exodus chapter 6. <clears throat> I know I'm going quick with this, but he's a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. Hallelujah. Verse 2 of Exodus chapter 6 says, And God spoke unto Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Meaning, he's referring to Jehovah there. And I appeared unto Abraham and to Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. See, so he's saying, okay, Abraham and Isaac and, and, and Jacob just knew me as God Almighty or as El Shaddai. Knew me as, as the God that's powerful, the God that's creator. But then he says, but you know what? I'm going to reveal myself to you, Cassie, as Jehovah. Meaning now this isn't a God that's just all powerful, but it's now it's a God that wants to be personal. See, Jehovah just is a, because Elohim, if you look at Elohim means the creator of all things, that, that name in itself means it's plural. But now when you break down Elohim, now you can get all these other aspects of who God is. And this aspect of Jehovah is now that when you, anytime you see Jehovah is God now revealing himself to humanity. And he says, now, now Abraham and Isaac just knew me as this, but I'm going to reveal myself to you as Jehovah. The self-existent one. The ever-living, ever-loving God in whom nothing is impossible. Who's constantly revealing himself. And that's what he's saying. I want to reveal myself to my people. And he says, unto Jehovah was not known to them. Now verse 4 says this. And I have also established my covenant with them. So, see, now it's not just a covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now God's saying, I want to reveal myself to them personally. And this covenant is not just for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's for them. Yes. 
It's for them. It's not just for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it's for all God's people. And then what does he say? To give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they are strangers. And I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I've remembered my covenant. There he, I remembered my covenant. Then it says this, wherefore say unto the children of Israel. So this is the covenant that he's making with God's people. This is the covenant he's making with God's people. We saw the covenant he made with Abraham, and, and, and we saw that, right? But, but here, this is the covenant he's making with you and me and, and all of his people. It says, Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm with great judgments. And I will take you to be my for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God." which brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land concerning which I did swear to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. Now, I want you to see this because this is covenant. This is, these are the promises of Passover. These are the promises of Passover. Because we know it, and I'm not going to take the time to go through this this morning, but if you take the time to read uh, Exodus chapter chapter 12. Because see, all these things that God was going to do was going to happen the day that they would leave Egypt. And so this aspect of the Passover, I want you to take a lamb, an unblemished lamb. I want you to keep it here for so many days and keep it till the 14th day. And I want you to sacrifice this lamb that's without spot or wrinkle. Just go over to Exodus 12, and I'm not going to read all the verses. But with this whole aspect of what God will do, I will bring them out. I will rid you out of bondage. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own people. I will be to you a God. I will bring you into the land, and I will give it to you. And so, how, did, how was God going to bring, it, bring this about? It was going to be a sacrifice. Verse 13 says, the blood shall be for a token or a sign to you on the doorpost of the house where you are, that when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land. And this day shall be to you for a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Now listen to this, throughout your generation, keep it as an ordinance forever. 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 Meaning you and I, even up to our day, we know Jesus is our Passover, right? But we should be keeping this understanding of the Passover forever. Why? Because everything that Jesus did at the cross was also everything that's been made available to you. When Jesus died on the cross, he could have said the same thing. I will bring them out. I will rid them out of bondage. I will redeem them. I will take you as my own people. I will be to you a God. I will bring you into the land of promise and I will give it to you. See, these are the promises of Passover. These are the promise that Jesus is our Passover. I will rid you of bondage. 
I'll rid you of bondage. I will take you as my own people. I will take you as my own people, my own. You see, this whole aspect of covenant is that that God is a covenant-keeping God. And he wants you to walk. To me, the bottom line of the promises of Passover are all about our freedom. God wants each one of us free from whatever would torment us. Freedom from whatever would bind us. Freedom from every stronghold. Freedom from every fear. Freedom from, from the aspect and feeling that you don't belong somewhere. He said, I will take you unto myself and you will be my people. You will be my people. See, these are the promises of Passover. These are things that have been declared to each one of us. Now think about when they, the next day after Passover. Think about it. They left Egypt with all the silver and the gold. And it said there was not one feeble among them. Not one feeble among them. Not one feeble among them. So the prophetic word. What did it say? Your adversary can't stop what I've already decreed. You see, what God has decreed is all about his covenant. It says, so stay in faith and get ready to receive. What, what is, how, how, do, how do I stay in faith? I hold on to covenant. I hold on to the covenant that has been made. I hold on to what God has already taken place, already done. I, I take, I take on and I take hold of what Jesus established, what Jesus finished because he is my Passover lamb. He will bring you out. He will bring you into a good land. He will increase you. He will multiply you as you continue to surrender your life to him day in and day out. He will multiply you exceedingly. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Let me close with this. Romans chapter 8. Thank you, Lord. Romans chapter 8. He's my promise keeper. Hallelujah. And the enemy can't stop what God has already decreed. So stay in faith and get ready to receive. Hallelujah. I want you to hear him say to you personally, I promise. I promise. I promise. We're all at different places in our lives. We all face different things, have different challenges. But hear him saying to you this morning, I promise. I promise to restore you. I promise. I promise to, to, to carry you. I promise to sustain you. I promise to, to be your provider. I promise to be your healer. I promise. I promise to be your victor crown. I promise to be faithful. I promise. I promise. 
Thank you, Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Hallelujah. Whom he called, moreover, whom he did predestinate. There's doctrine out there that talks about that God predestinates people, meaning there's some people that are going to get heaven and some people aren't going to heaven. That's not what this is That's not what Roman refers to. Because we know, according to Timothy, it says he wishes all men to be saved. Moreover, whom he did predestined, meaning, meaning there's, a, there's something that he's purposed for humanity. There's something that he desires for each one of us. It says, and those ones he's predestined, he's called them. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. I want you to see, not only has God predestinated you to be in his family, but he's He's called you to be in his family. Not only did he called you, but because of the blood of Jesus, you've been justified. You've been made righteous. And because of that, you have been glorified. Meaning you have God's presence on your life. As a child of God, you have God's presence on your life. See, that's the promise of the Passover that as they would get, leave their bondage, as they would leave Egypt, they would leave with everything they would have need of. They would leave healed. They would leave whole. They would leave prosperous. And they would leave knowing that God was going before them and God was surrounding about them. So not only have you been predestined, not only you called, not only are you justified, but you have to understand that you've been clothed with splendor. You've been clothed with his glory. You have been glorified. Then it says this. So what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Meaning I've been called, I've been justified, and I've been glorified. So, so it, it, who can be against me? Because what? I've been justified and I've been glorified. Hallelujah. Egypt can't come against me. The world can't defeat me because I've been called, I've been justified, and I've been glorified. So what can I say to all these things? If God be for me, who can be against me? Hallelujah. Nothing can be against me. Why? Because I have a promise keeper. And I've been justified and I've been glorified. Hallelujah. You see, this is, this is what you have to understand. See, we, we, we take scriptures like, you know, you know, you know, who can be against me? Why? Why? Why is that a true statement? Because I've been glorified. I've been justified. Meaning I have a right to be a winner in life because of what God has established for me. See, so now when you know that scripture, you know, uh, I just read it. You know, if God is for me, who can be against me? And, that, and that's something that, but, but now when you know the substance behind that, because I've been justified and I've been glorified, there's no demon in hell that can stand against me. This is a year of abundant overflow in my life. Why? Because I have a covenant keeping God. What shall we say to these things of God before us? Who can be against us? And then it says, then it's, it's a question mark. And then it says, 
he that spared not his own son, or he that spared not the Passover lamb. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He sent his own son. He delivered him, him up for us all. If God went to the extent to take care of your spiritual life. Yes. Your spiritual life is far greater than your natural life. Amen. If he did something to die for you to be a new creation. What is him taking care of and bringing provision into your life? Amen. Don't limit God. God cares about you spirit, soul and body. First Thessalonians 5.23, I pray that your whole spirit, your whole complete spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless into the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not coming back for a church session. Uh, I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. No, it, for Thessalonians says, I, I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if he sent his only son, how much more would he freely, freely give us all things, things, things. Now, these aren't things for you to, that you lust after to, to that has nothing to do with that. That's a whole nother issue. But at the same time, don't put God in a box that God doesn't care about every aspect of your life. If he would go to the extent to bring Jesus, how much more would he freely, how much more, how much more, how much more would he freely give us all things? Wow. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word today. And I thank you that this is a year of abundant overflow. I thank you, Father, that we stand on this word, that we declare that the enemy can't stop what you've already decreed. So today we choose to stay in faith and, and we get ready to receive. I thank you that you are a covenant keeping God. And I thank you that you have promised us. I thank you that you have promised to bring us in. You have promised to, to, to take us out of bur- every bondage, every burden. I thank you that you, you said you would get rid of every bondage. You said that you would redeem us. That you said that you would take us under your own. And you said that you would be a God to us. And that you would bring us in to large places. You would bring us into great places. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises. The promises that are yes. In amen. I thank you for everything that you've decreed to us. That we lay hold of those things. Lord, I speak for strength. I speak forth health. I speak forth wholeness. I thank you that your covenant is working in every single life here today. I speak healing in their bodies. I thank you that you direct their path this week. I thank you, Lord, that you give them wisdom. Wisdom. You said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God and you would give it. So I thank you for wisdom in every situation, every circumstance. I thank you, Lord, as they place their hands to, to, in their workplaces. I thank you that you will bless everything they set their hand to. I thank you that you open doors that no man can shut. 
I thank you, Father, that that you provide for them. I thank you that you bless them in the city and you bless them in the field. I thank you they are above only and they're not beneath. I thank you that they are experiencing every one of your promises. Thank you for your hand resting upon them, strengthening them, and making them great as they go about this week. I call them blessed this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, give them a shout of praise if you've received that.